everybody. It is good to see you today. For those that may be joining us, uh, for, you know, before we do that, can you just give it up for the worship team, please? That was awesome. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Dustin, Dustin's been working really, really hard with, uh, with the team, and they've been uh, uh, coming in, getting practices done, making sure that we have some, some fresh content and everything, and so hopefully you're seeing the fruit of some of that, so praise the Lord for that. So uh, my name is Pastor Rob. For those that may be joining us by live stream, if you're visiting with us today, and I serve as one of the pastors here at The Rock, and we've been going through a series on the book of Proverbs, and so we're not, we're not having an extensive 31-week um, uh, study on the book. We've just been picking out a couple of highlights and some things uh, that really, I, I believe the Lord wants us to, to know about this book. So we're spending about seven weeks uh, in this book. And so this is the fourth week of that series. And today we're going to talk about something that um, I hate, like, I, I, I like to be able to tell you guys, hey, this topic is near and dear to my heart, right? It sounds like a cliche for a pastor. Probably everything in the Word of God should be near and dear to my heart, right? But you know how there are some things that are near and dear to your heart, right? This is the one that I wish wasn't near and dear to my heart because we're going to talk about anger. And I'm going to go beyond the fact because I'm a Latino guy from New York and that's why I get angry. I get angry because I am a sinner. I get angry because one of my biggest character defects in the world is getting angry too easily. But have you ever noticed, and though maybe, you know, you may be, uh, you know, too pious or too holy or too brave to say it, but if you're, if you get angry like I do, then you know that you usually get angry at the dumb stuff. Like salvation, hallelujah. The kids woke up and went to school today, great. But if somebody left the milk out, it's over, right? World War III. And so I want to talk, so I'm talking to you today as somebody who suffers from this, not somebody who has completely been, overcome this. I, I, I'm hoping that I'm emerging a little bit in this. I, I, I've noticed that after 2021 and the year that my family had, the year that a lot of people had, that was just a very convoluted year, a year, but I know that that year also got me here. It, it, it was a rough time. And I noticed that my anger started turning into more of a melancholy depression once in a while, which is also not a good vibe, right? And so I want us to talk about what it actually means to have anger and what it means to begin to get to the place that we can have victory over this. Because what, some of the things that I want you to see is this, that being able to control yourself to not be angry is the mark of a spiritually mature person. And not being able to control your anger shows that we have a lot of work to do in our, in our life. And so I'm going to do my best to be as transparent as possible. And I, hopefully you'll do your best to give me enough grace to realize that Pastor Rob isn't made perfect and is not going to be perfect. And so the things I share with you, hopefully you don't ding me on my annual review saying, ah, he told us he's like this. Or when you hear me from the weeks from now that you don't think, because this is my fear, if I get transparent, you guys are going to stop listening because you're like, oh, that guy's just a sinner like I am. I've told you from day one I'm a sinner like you are. All right, so I want, you, I want us all to just really think about what the Proverbs have to say about anger. But what I'd like to do to start off with is I'd like us to look at the beginning of the chapter of, of Proverbs 14 because it talks about some things that also uh, go together with this. All right, so I want you to uh, stand to your feet. And let's go to Proverbs chapter 14, and we're going to read um, from verses 26, and then we're going to go down to the end of the chapter, okay? Proverbs uh, 14, beginning in verse 26. The Bible says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. A large population is a king's splendor, but a shortage of people is a ruler's devastation. A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. The one who oppresses the poor 
a person insults his maker, but the one who is kind to the needy honors him. The wicked one is thrown down by his own sin, but the righteous one has a refuge in his death. Wisdom resides in the heart of the discerning. She is known even among fools. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. A king favors a prudent servant, but his anger falls on a disgraceful one. Thanks for standing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And we'll get to the next ones at that. So we can go back just to, we'll start in verse uh, 26 for the slides in the back. Uh, so think about this for a second. We began uh, two weeks ago, and I think I mentioned a little bit on, uh, on that live stream that I put out when, when this guy from New York canceled church, and half of you think I'm a wuss now because I canceled church. But uh, we're going to go beyond that. But like, so remember that last, let's just forget last week happened, right? Let's just like, we were here, it's this week four, last, what happened week three? Who cares what happened week three? We're in week four, right? Okay, so week four, right? We talked about the fear of the Lord, and we talked about how that's the beginning of everything, right? Like if we don't have the fear of God, where are we going to go? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But remember, we have, before we get into that, we have to talk about what is the fear of the Lord? What is it actually to fear God? And it's not that we're scared of God, although maybe we, remember we said that it may start that way, that when we serve God, the, the first reason why we serve God is because of fear, because we think the big guy's going to zap us every time we sin after we get saved, right? And then we move beyond that a little bit, and then we get to fearing God out of, of duty or purpose. And then we get stuck in that purpose, and then it becomes like, you know, the guys that just say this, like, you know, well, bless God, we're going to serve God, because we always serve God. Well, why do you serve God? Because we always serve God. And there's never really anything beyond the fact, because we've, we do this, we're always going to do this. And so because we always are going to do this, that's why we do it, right? It's as convoluted as what I just said. But this is, this is where we get stuck. This is why we serve God. But then someone who truly starts surrendering their life to Jesus Christ and understands the doctrines of grace and understands that God is never going to leave us or forsake us, we start serving God out of devotion and love because we love him because he first loved us. And when we get there, then we begin to understand what it means to fear the Lord. That we have this reverence, we have this respect, we have tuned into the fact that the only way for us to have wisdom is to completely and totally depend on who? God. So, in that vein though, look at verse 26 now. In the fear of the Lord, someone has what? Strong confidence. And his children have a refuge. So that means the fear of the Lord not only leads us to a particular way of life, it also causes other people, particularly the ones that come after us, to also have this same, this same stronghold. So how do we have generational wisdom? By having generational fear in the Lord, fear of the Lord. How can we have this strong confidence? Because this is what I want us to think about. This, this topic of anger, has to be brought back to the fact whether or not we have confidence in God. Because usually we get angry at what? Something that didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to. Or someone didn't treat us the way that we wanted to be treated. Or sometimes just the situation in general that we can't control. And that causes us to get angry. But someone who is spiritually mature understands that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and in him we have confidence, not what we're trying to control. So if we can make this pivot to going from trying to control everything and getting upset when we can or when things don't turn out the way that they want, good or bad, be something that we did wrong. It just could be something that someone is doing us dirty. I mean, that's possible, completely possible. But is that what we're going to focus on over having strong confidence in the Lord? See what I'm, see what I'm saying? The difference between us being able to control our temper is us having a weak or strong confidence in the Lord. The thing is, and this, now, that I, now that I have my teenagers that are getting older now, I'm starting to see, you know what ticks me off about my kids? When they act like me. 
good and bad. So when my kids start to get ticked, I get ticked, and then the whole family is just ticked off. And then about like half an hour to an hour later, I'm sitting in my room just this like mustering over, like, right? And then all of a sudden I'm like, they're acting just like me. And then you know who the best cheerleaders for this is? My parents. Because they act like they're the perfect people. You grandparents act like y'all did nothing wrong, right? And they're like, well, they're acting just like you. And I'm like, act like you, dad. I learned from watching you. You know, like that's, I mean, it's, it's this generational thing. So here's the thing. If we want generational success and generational, um, you know, fearing of the Lord, we have to realize that right now we have generational anger. Your kids aren't just angry because they, they were bad seed that came out. They're not the spawn of Satan. They're the spawn of you. That's who they are. They are you. And it's happening over and over and over again. Why do you think we see a higher level of divorce among Christians than we've ever seen before? Why do you think we have kids who have not, not mental defects, but real emotional issues than ever before? Because this thing catches up to us. And we may have been able to hide it in the 50s and the 60s and just not let our kids go out. You know, we had some rich people give their kids lobotomies and throw them away and you never heard from them again to hide all this stuff. But now there's social media, dude. Everybody knows everything. And now your sin that's generational, everybody knows about it. So what do we do? Gotta hide them better. No, we gotta deal with this. We have to deal with this issue because it's not just us, it's our kids. So either, let's put it very simply, either we're gonna fear the Lord or we're gonna be angry. Let's look at verse 27. Thanks, man. Jeff knew exactly where I was going. Love you, bro. All right. The fear of the Lord is what? A fountain of life. I don't know about you, but if somebody said, hey, there's a fountain down the road, it doesn't get frozen, it never gets too warm, and if you drink out of it, you'll live forever, we'd all be at that fountain, right? COVID or not, right? We'd all be there like, yo, that, we're drinking this water, right? The fear of the Lord is more than just, and this is why when someone says the fear of the Lord is having a proper respect for God, it's part of it, but it's not everything. Because the fear of the Lord isn't just to respect God, it realizes that the fear of the Lord benefits us. What gives us life? Fearing God. Understanding God's place in the universe is above everything else. That's what gives us life. That's what gives us confidence. That's what causes us to grow, is that we realize that it all comes from us understanding who is in charge and who's not. And that builds a strong confidence. Having strong confidence is a fountain of life because it comes from the fear of the Lord. Turning away what? People from the snares of death. So the fear of the Lord isn't just the way that we're supposed to live for us to have strong confidence. It isn't just the way of us for our kids to have a strong confidence. It isn't just the way of us for us to have a, a, a fountain of life. It also helps other people escape. So my relationship with Jesus affects other people's relationships with Jesus, my children and then so. Think about this, think about the exponential uh, pro uh, probability of what, of what this statement says. If I fear God, then hopefully my wife will also fear God. And if we're fearing God together, then hopefully our kids are gonna fear God. And then not only would then their kids would feel God, so extrapolate that out, right? Now imagine all the, all the people that me and my wife influence, and then all the people that their, our kids influence, and then that their kids influence. Now think about the, how that expands, how many people would be fearing God, and how many people would escape the snares of death if we just would learn how to trust and fear God. And I'm not talking about being some sort of super Christian that gets everything right, but that someone maybe has more self-control than they did before the, the day before. And that maybe that argument doesn't turn out being a fighting match, but it then turns out to repentance. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, we learn how to be civil and realize if we're not gonna get anywhere in the fight, we walk away instead of continuing on. Maybe we just get there. Maybe that's all we get to. If we can get to there, that's progress, right? All right, let's go to verse 28. A large population is a king's splendor, but a shortage of people 
is a ruler's devastation. So here, here's what it is. If most, most commentaries will put kind of like, a, or, or the way that uh, study Bibles are, are spelled out, like you'll have uh, verses 26 to verse 27, or 25 to verse 27, this will kind of be coupled together as things that go together, right? And then you'll have like 29 to the end of the chapter, and then like maybe another verse in there that'll just be kind of pulled out, and like this is like one of those individual proverbs that this is like the best place to put it, right? Okay, I, I, I get that, but if I'm gonna trust that the whole word of God has been perfectly preserved for me for over 2,000 years, I'm also going to think that God moved the people who put it together to put exactly where it's supposed to be and then keep it there because it stayed there for millennia, right? So why is this there about the king and splendor right in the middle of talking about what it means to fear the Lord? So think about that for a second. Think about the history of the nation of Israel. Think about all the kings that they had and when the nation was together and the nation divided, right? And how the northern kingdom went and how the southern kingdom went. They both wound up in exile. The, the southern kingdom lasted longer than the northern kingdom, right? Okay, so think about all those kings. Think about all the emperors. Think about all the rulers. Think about all the people who have occupied the nation of Israel over all the years, right? We know that kings who did well had a vast society that would grow. Their empire would grow. Kings who did poorly, they may have artificially had high, high numbers, but what happened at the end? They got conquered, right? Sometimes God took them out with sickness, right? This happened all throughout history. So let's put this together now. What does this have to do with the fear of the Lord? And then coming further, talking about anger. And here's what I'd like to share with you. If a leader, which is you and I, could be because we all have spheres of influence, you may say, well, I'm not, I'm not a leader. You are. Trust me. There's always going to be somebody behind you and somebody before you, and you are also go always going to be influencing somebody. So let's put it this way. Let's use 2022 vernacular, an influencer, okay? Forget a leader, right? An influencer, right? If you're an influencer, right, what happens? You'll have people who follow you. Social media works like this, right? How many likes you got? How many followers you got? And the bigger you are, more people follow you, right? And then this has now become the source of whether or not we're good, popular people. But there is some truth to it. If you are, if you influence for the right things or sometimes for the wrong things, what happens? You get a lot of people. But any good leader knows how you get people is how you keep people. So if you, if you get people by the wrong method, you're going to lose all of them. And a leader understands this, that if a leader is a good leader, he will keep the population of his country and his nation big because they're healthy, they're growing prosperous. But anybody knows when a country starts use, losing population at a fast rate, something's wrong. Either pestilence, famine, or the idiots sent them all out to war and they died. And now they're ready to be conquered. And so think about this for a second. Someone who leads well in the fear of the Lord is someone who has a lot of stuff to show for it, namely people. The fruit of their labor is that people were influenced for the Lord. But someone who doesn't fear the Lord, or perhaps someone who gets angry and doesn't fear the Lord, loses people. This is why relationships are messed up. This is why marriages fail. This is why kids and parents don't talk. This is why, this is why, why teachers and kids don't get along. This is what it is, is because there is a breakdown in relationships. And it all begins with fearing God. Have you ever thought about that? Your relationships start with whether you or not fear God. Because if you fear God, you'll treat your relationship differently as whether you don't fear God. And we all know we're not all going to be at the same level of comfort or intimacy with one another. But if we start with having an intimate relationship with Jesus and we fear our Lord, it is safe to say that is going to influence the way we treat other people. And so what, what is the deal? What is the thing that causes us to break down emotionally and sometimes that turns into anger? It could be a lot of things. It could be what's going on, right? It could be your health. Uh, those of us who, who, have, who have diabetes, we know when our numbers are out of whack. We can get either really tired or we can get uh, very antsy. I remember when I first uh, got diagnosed, um, I was 23, like 23 or 24 years old. And um, I just came back from a missions trip. 
And uh, I noticed that my mouth was, was thirsty and I kept drinking Gatorade like an idiot and it got worse and worse to the point I got home and I couldn't, I couldn't even focus on the paper in front of me. And so I told the senior pastor, I was a youth pastor, I was like, I gotta go to the hospital, something's up. And my blood sugar was like 700. Yeah, really bad, right? And so after spending several weeks in the, in the hospital and, and, and trying to get it all right, I, I realized, I, I know now, and, and I'm better at it now, I know when it's high, when it's low, because different things will start happening, right? One of the things that happens is, you know, I'll get upset and I'll go on a tirade and Becky, like a ninja, will just say, check your sugar, Rob. And then she'll drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> and I'm there, I'm there like this. Okay. But then if my sugar's okay, I told you it's you, not the sugar. You know, <laughs> that's the way it is. Ah, you know you have the same stories in your house. You can lie if you want, but you know they're there. You know, but that's, but we know there are telltale signs about things. And so what is going to be the telltale sign for us that we're, we're starting to, you know, just rev up? What are we going to do? So let's look at verse 29. A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered person, one promotes foolishness. All right, so I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and right now it's being a little wussy because it doesn't say, it's not quick-tempered. Like, the Greek word there is angry, okay? So this is like the PC correct way of saying angry. I'm not angry. I'm just quick-tempered, right? No, you're an angry mess, right? This is so, I want you first to see the, the, the correlation here. Someone who's patient is someone who understands someone who's angry or quick-tempered promotes foolishness. All right, so here's the first thing. There's two uh, just scenarios I want you to see that hopefully you, you understand. The first one is this. Someone who knows how to control themselves is described as patient, right? Someone who's angry is, is, uh, is, is someone, the opposite, the opposite of being patient is being angry, right? Okay, that's the two words that are used, patient and anger. So I want you to just to, to chew on that for a second. If someone who lacks patience, we're gonna wind up being someone who gets angry, right? Now, here's why they use the, the phrase quick-tempered, because I looked it up. Why would you use quick-tempered than angry? Was it to fill up space on the page because it's longer? That's what I used to do on essays in high school, you know, like put longer words to make things go. Like I remember finishing one essay. When I was done, I was, I was down by four words. I needed four more words. So I ended it saying, the end, so there. And then I handed it in. But that's, that's, that, that's, not, that's, not, why they, that's not why they did that here. So the word angry that we're gonna, we're gonna uh, just look at it a little bit later about what it means, it has the idea of quick fuse, okay? Quick-tempered, okay? Because here's what I, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because this, because some of us, just because culturally, we never get loud, it doesn't mean that we don't get angry, okay? Or you're able to hold it together without like killing someone, doesn't mean you're not angry for the wrong reason, you just are able to hide it better. So the idea of a quick fuse, I want you to understand that means because anger can also, you know, identify or show itself in different ways. It may not be just a, a, a profanity lace tirade. It may not be that. Some of us may just cuss somebody out and that may be it, right? And it may be done as soon as we do that. That, that, that very wicked venting may take three minutes and then we're done. For some people, it, it, ha it comes on quick but it may be that you may withhold an intimate relationship with your spouse for months because of it. It's the same thing. Whether you cuss somebody out or treat somebody wrongly, it is the same thing. You're both just as angry. So this idea of quick temper is what I want you to see. It's the short fuse. It's that you don't, you don't have patience. But that word anger is, I think, the one that universally we all would realize because that's the Hebrew word that comes to this is the word angry or the word wrath we'll see in a little bit. So the opposite of patience is wrath. So there's no, there's no like, oh, I'm just a little impatient. No, no, no. Either you're patient or you're not. And if you're not, not only are you described as angry, you're also called a fool. Someone who's angry all the time, and this hits me, is someone who acts like a foolish kid. No matter how right 
I think I am. When I lose my temper, I am not acting like the godly adult that I'm supposed to be. I am acting like a spoiled little brat because I don't have confidence in my dad. I want to have confidence in myself. And that's how spoiled kids act. We think we're the ones that are the center of, this, of the show. And so every time that I lose my temper, about half an hour later, I realize I did it again. I'm acting like a spoiled little brat again. And then when my kids act like spoiled little brats, I have no problem calling them spoiled little brats, not realizing they got that from their dad. That's where it comes from. A quick tempered one. Now, there's just, this is the last thing I want to show you in this verse. What does it promote? Foolishness, right? Okay, so bring that back to what we talked about when it said the fear of the Lord not only affects ourselves, but then also our children, but also turns other people away from the snares of death, right? This goes along with that. Somebody who is angry promotes this foolish way of living to other people. And so it's not just you that gets affected by your anger. And I would say for some of us, depending on our level of influence, it's not just going to be our family that's affected by anger because now extrapolate this. I'm angry. My wife's angry. My kids are angry. They go to school. They're angry. Now their friends are angry. Then they play sports and they're all getting in trouble at the same time. Then the other team gets angry, right? And then all of a sudden we're in the Brian Times. Rodriguez family called a nuclear emergency in Williams County. Why are these Puerto Ricans living here, right? That's, that's where it comes. Biggest fear I got. Biggest fear I got. The, the, the Latin wave has crossed over into Williams County, right? All of a sudden, that's what happens. Why? Because I decided to lose my temper. A quick-tempered person promotes foolishness with other people. So your anger, I mean, and just, I mean, guys, it's science. If you're loud, people are going to hear it, right? But even if you're silent, people also hear it. So verse 30, a tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. All right, let's get to this in a second, but I want to I wanna bring something up. So who here has seen the, uh, the TV show Monk? Anybody seen that show? He has a severe OCD. I think we just dated ourselves, those of us who know what Monk is. Those of us who are older than us, still younger than you, so there, all right? But uh, we have, so there's a show called Monk, and it's about a detective who has, a private investigator who has a severe OCD, right? I mean, so much to the point that he has to, like, touch things and move around. And, and it's, it's played well uh, by, by the actor who plays him. And there's one, yeah, there's one episode, he's working with the police department, and there's this captain by the name of Captain Stoudemire, and he's a guy who struggles with anger. He's like, basically just imagine, like, um, Dirty Harry in a police show as a, as a captain, right? Just gets upset at, at all these different things. And so this false accusation comes over uh, for, for the captain, and Monk is trying to figure out how he didn't do it, but in the middle of him getting upset about the false accusation, the captain punches somebody, and it makes it worse. Because now remember, police captain punching another officer, a subordinate, and then all of a sudden now his wife is upset at him, he's upset with him, and so his marriage is, is like messed up completely all because of his anger, right? Have you ever had a day like that? That all of a sudden your anger not, and this is the thing, anger sometimes comes when things are said about you that aren't true. Okay? So this is why I want to bring up, before we get into verse 30, I want you to think about this for a second. Some of the reasons why you and I get into situations that get us revved up is because someone did do something to us. So I don't want us here think, leaving thinking, Rob said we just can't get angry about stuff because that's not godly. No, no. There are some things that happen that cause you to get riled up, but the question is, what do we do when we get riled up, right? I love, I love this. I love how we use the phrase, well, I have righteous indignation. I'm righteously angry. So here's my question. Where's your righteousness come from? It comes from the blood of Jesus Christ, right? He can get angry and lash out, because when he lashes out, it's a godly lashing out. But when we lash out, it is never righteous indignation. We can never use the righteousness that we get from Jesus Christ to say, well, I was justified in how angry I got. That's not how that works. Our righteousness is borrowed from Jesus. 
We have no righteousness within ourselves. There is none righteous, no, not one. So if we're gonna have some sort of righteous indignation, it better be based on what the word of God says to the point that we are upset about what happened, but we don't get to use our anger as a justification to lash out on somebody else. God is the one that we have confidence in. He is the one that handles our affairs, not us. We don't take things into our own hands. That's God's job. We can get angry about sin, we can get angry about people who are messing up. We can get angry about, we can, to the point that we're, that we're upset. But when we get to this point that we have this, this wrath, we've gone too far. And that's why 30 talks about a tranquil heart is a life to the body. So the opposite of, of, of so a, a, a synonym of patience is also tranquility. This is, um, so patience is the outworking of tranquility in the heart, if that makes sense, right? Being tranquil is what it means to have a strong confidence in God, and that's how it affects you internally, emotionally, right? Spiritually, physically. That then looks to the world like patience, okay? So the opposite of all that is this, that when, we are, when, when, we are, when we're completely and totally just revved up on the inside, it comes out on the outside looking like impatient foolishness, right? And another way for us to say that is anger. And we'll get to the second part of that verse, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. But I want to I bring up one more thought about verse 29. The, the word anger there, we kind of alluded to it. The, the Hebrew word for the word anger in verse 29 is the, is the word ath. It's rooted in the concept of someone who is so angry, it has the idea of nostrils flaring. Okay? So we're not talking about being upset we're not talking about being a little mad. This is like, this is why we use the word wrath sometimes for this word. This is that word angry. It is a strong word. And so some things make us this full of wrath. And these are the things that we can't, we shouldn't de deny that these things exist. And we shouldn't like say that, yeah, hey, I'm, not, I'm just going to get rid of these things. These things are there. And so it's, a, it's important for us to realize the things that make us angry because of our character defects are always going to make us angry. They're not going to go away, right? Okay, so all of a sudden, if I, if I just, I mean, I'm trying to think about something that I, that I would hate so much to the bone that if I heard it again, I'd never want to hear it or I'd never want to see it. And I can't think of anything, I mean, like, you could say country music, I mean, you know, but that's not, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's almost, I don't like it, I don't, I don't hate it, I don't, it's not wrath, right? I mean, I'm just trying to think, there's nothing that I, I think in my life that I hate that bad, and besides like sin and stuff like that, but, but think about something you really just dislike that always causes you to get just like nostril flaring upset. Do we have those things? Or is everybody in Ohio just that calm and tranquil, right? I mean, we all have something, right? And you don't have to shout out what it is, don't because we're on live stream also just kind of like think about it for a second that thing that thing that never leaves what we're trying to figure out is how we then get slow to that and we're gonna go to James to talk about that how can we have that revving up slow down enough for us to get back into control because I think sometimes when we approach the Word of God and we see and something is brought up that we know is wrong in our life, I think sometimes we feel like the only solution is for us to like be cured of it, right? Like, it, like we're, we're, we're finally spiritual when our anger goes away. You're never gonna make it then, my friend. It, it, I mean, it's, things don't just like leave. And I mean, think, think about it. Imagine if we said the only way that you can be categorized as spiritually mature is if you have no problems at no time at anywhere with any kind of person and every day is just the greatest day of your life, right? I mean, talk to Job about that. You know, that's not right. So what does it mean to be spiritually mature? And I believe one of the best ways to describe being spiritually mature is to recognize the things that call us to fall and try to move away from those things as much as possible. But if we're getting close to that, that we do our best to curtail it before it happens, right? That's what spiritual maturity is, that we know what our weaknesses are and we do the best to either have to put up a wall or be able to deal with them the right way when they come up, right? So that's what it means to be spiritually mature. So this is why the, the second part of verse 30 is important. A tranquil heart is life to the body. Again, we're bringing the concept of life instead of death. 
but jealousy is rottenness to the bone. So how we put, what's the correlation between jealousy and anger? Or jealousy and patience? Well, think about this for a second. When our anger is directed at something, right? There's, a diff, there's different levels of that. You can have wrath towards someone, but most of the time when we're mad at someone else, we're, we're jealous because that person didn't live up to the standards. Jealousy isn't just because you're upset because they're doing something with somebody else. Jealousy is when someone doesn't live up to the standard that you set and that makes you emotionally uh, affected uh, negatively. So think about this. Jealousy good way the Bible describes as being angered towards somebody. Think about it this way. God is jealous towards who? Us. That's the way we word it, but what does it mean? God is angry because we have now put our love and confidence in something else besides him. And so this three-way triangle is where jealousy is, where there's anger because you were supposed to direct it towards something or do something and you instead did something else. Now you have this anger towards somebody. And what is jealousy described as? Rottenness to the bones. And if a bone is rotten, it leads to what? Death. So this is, this is one of those things. Anger and, or being patient instead of being angry is a life and death decision for a believer. Because we've learned earlier in Proverbs, someone who follows, someone who has the fear of the Lord, not only has a higher quality of life, because they have a higher quality of life, the amount of time that God has given us to live will be used more effectively because of it. All right, let's look at verse 31. The one who oppresses the poor insults his maker. The one who is kind to the needy honors him. All right, so now we're going to take what we talked about, uh, having um, anger or having impatience, acting foolish towards someone else, and now we're going to talk about it when you have the ability to do something to change it, okay? Here's the thing. The one who oppresses the poor insults his maker. So someone who treats someone that they have the ability to treat better and they don't treat them that way, who do they insult ultimately? God. Do you know God judged entire nations on the way that they, that they treated poor people, right? And the thing is, we have become such a politically divided society that when anybody even mentions poor people, you take a position either two one on one way or one on the other way. Oh, they need to lift themselves up by their bootstraps or we need to give them everything. That's where we are. Not realizing the Bible is key that if we have the power to help somebody in need, we help them. That's what the Bible says that we do. Now, how do we help people? That's what we do. We don't just enable. We help them. We encourage them. We make sure we take care of their needs and then teach them how to fish. We help them with things like budgets. We help them with things like, like if they continue to get ill over the same thing, we try to get them some, some affordable healthcare or options for them. We take them to clinics. We do what we have to do in order to do what? Honor the person that made, that's made in the image of God so that we can show them that we've honored them so that then we can talk to them about Jesus. It does sometimes takes us giving somebody a meal to tell them about the bread of life. And the person who has the power to do that and decides to oppress instead of be, uh, be, be giving, that's anger being lashed out on somebody else. It may not look like it, it may not, it may not feel like it, but when we oppress somebody, when we don't help somebody that we can help, God sees that as anger and he's insulted by it. But the other way, the one who's kind to the needy honors him. So how do we honor God? How do we honor other people? Being kind to people who are in need, being patient with them. Because think about this, when you're kind, to people in need, there is some patience that comes along with that, right? Because just like you sin in ways, people who are needy also do things that they shouldn't be doing over and over and again, right? And if we're trying to break cycles of generational um, um, mishaps and generational character defects, that, my friend, is hard and dirty work. And it's not just going to be the one handout. It's going to be us getting involved and getting messy with people, which requires patience because we will get angry with the people that we're trying to help. 
But if God is our confidence and fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, whenever we feel like we're being taken advantage of by the person that we're helping, we go to the maker. We go to God. We get our confidence. We recognize what we're doing. He is going to handle this situation. All right, verse 32. The wicked one, okay? So now we're gonna put angry. Now we're gonna put impatience. Now we're gonna put foolishness. What other portions of the Bible put together with being wicked, right? The wicked one is thrown down by what? His own sin, but the righteous one has a refuge in his death. All right, so think about this. the one who has been acting angry, the one who has been foolish, is, is going to be thrown down. And the, 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 the phrase there in Hebrew is to be cast down into a pit or a hole, okay? So not just the righteous man falls, up, falls down and gets back up. This is like falling way down, right? The wicked one is thrown down by what? His own actions, his own sin his own thoughts, his own words, his own deeds that displease God. He is the one that has this done. So when we get angry and we do things that, that we should not be doing, we, we cannot blame anyone except who? Ourselves. When we lash out, what are we doing? We're showing who we are. We're not showing that we're an image, of, uh, image bearer of God. We're showing our wickedness. But the righteous one has refuge in his death. Again, where do we get our righteousness from? Jesus. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's still just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, right? When God sees us, he doesn't see the sinful person. Who does he see? The blood of Jesus over us, right? Because of that, that salvation, that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is the refuge that we have. Because instead of us having to suffer the penalty for all of the mishaps and sins and character defects that we have, we are clothed in the righteousness and that becomes our shelter and our refuge. And so the thing is this, I want you to put it this way. If you have a shelter and refuge for when you die, and that's a home in heaven and eternal life and forgiveness of sins, why are we not using that refuge now? Why are we not going, why are we not placing ourselves in the shelter of the Almighty now? And by the grace of God, learning how to control our angst and our anger and our anxiety and our depression and being melancholy. Like, why don't we go to him now? We are already citizens of heaven now. We have access to that power now. All right. Wisdom resides in the heart of the discerning. Can I go back? Fear the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom now begins to take place, take, take shape, have a foundation in the heart of who? People who are discerning, people who are wise, people who are able to, to see the difference between right and wrong. And now here's what happens. So now remember how we influence people for good or bad, right? The fear of the Lord helps us have a strong, uh, strong courage. It causes other people to also have strong confidence and then extrapolate all that out. Now here's the thing. If we have wisdom, in the midst of people who don't have wisdom, if we have self-control in the midst of people who don't have self-control, what happens? They at least can see it. But who do they see? They don't see you, they see wisdom. In the book of Proverbs and in the Psalms, wisdom has always been getting a, a, a female gender to it. Wisdom, she is like this, she is this. So when we talk about wisdom, she's not talking, we're not talking about some individual woman that is known among fools. We're talking about the wisdom that now resides in us, that people see that patience, people see that, that level of that strong confidence, people see the fear of the Lord instead of anger. They see that. They don't just say, man, Rob's a great guy. They go, man, that guy is under control. What's causing that? She's known even among fools. So what are we known for? Are we known for being angry? Are we known for being someone who has it all together? But even higher, are we known for being someone who has the fear of God that causes us to be under self-control? Do people see you from 20 years ago and now and say, man, he's just as angry as ever? Or has there been any kind of change? Where are we? All right, what do we have next? Righteousness. Now this is a verse that's so used on bumper stickers during presidential elections. I mean, every kind of fundraiser you see, this is what you see, right? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. That statement is completely true, but let's break it down what it says. Again, where does our righteousness come from? Jesus. So who exalts a nation? Those of us who follow Jesus. 
We're not supposed to be expecting our government to be righteous because they usually aren't. It's us who exalts the nation. It's Jesus Christ in us that makes a nation be exalted. It's, it's the amount of people who are doing what they're supposed to do as believers and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and living lives of wisdom and not living lives of anger that exalts a nation. So when we get all riled up about things that are going on in our country, how do we handle things? If we handle them the way that we have been handling things, angry and upset and calling our leaders bad names and things like that, that does not exalt the nation. I will fight with you about that all day. That is not exalt the nation ever. But us telling people who Jesus is, not getting angry, showing wisdom, spreading the gospel is what exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Now we already know, those who don't know Jesus are already under the condemnation of death. So this is a direct warning to us. Are we exuding righteousness? Or are we exuding sin when we when we work when we when we live? Do we things do we do things the way that we're supposed to? Are we are we getting angry? Are, are we the ones like like you know are the cops being called for a domestic dispute with someone who claims to be called a Christian? Think about that. That's what some of our anger is going to lead to if we don't get under control. Are we the ones because of the righteousness of Jesus that are leading our nation? and to being someone who's exalted by God or is our sin keeping us down like everybody else's? And it's a disgrace. This is the thing. We as believers either have the, the ability to bless our nation or we're the disgrace to the nation. Think about that. Us not living a godly life is what's a disgrace to the nation that we live in. How are we living our life? Let's look at the next verse. A king favors. And now we're bringing the king back in. Why? A king favors a prudent servant, but his anger falls on a disgraceful one. So now, in the Bible, when we talk about kings and we talk about leaders, we're either talking about ourselves, or usually when we're talking about one single solitary king, we could also be talking about, about the Lord, right? And how he affects, how he deals with us. And I want you to think about this. A king favors a prudent person. So leaders like to be around other people who are doing what? Leading correctly and people who are wise, people who are under control. But leaders don't want to be around people uh, who are a disgrace to him. So all the things that we spoke about, that, that sin that disgraces a nation, all those things. So his anger, and the word anger here is different. This is the word for punitive punishment falls on the disgraceful one. Okay, so here's what happens. If we're going to be prudent, we are going to be blessed by God. We're going to be used by God in order to bring the the right example to pass. If we're someone who is a disgraceful one, so someone who is angry, someone who is impatient, someone who doesn't have a strong confidence in God, someone who acts wicked, we will receive the anger and the punishment from God. Why? Because we are a disgrace. So this is where I think the rubber needs to meet the road with some of us. Either we allow the grace of God and the word of God through our relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, to start making the changes in our life in order for us to go from being unwise and angry to being wise and patient, things negatively are gonna happen to us. And some of us are already starting to see the effects of this in our own life and in the life of people that, that we are, uh, that who are entrusted to us. Do we have the spiritual fortitude to let God, God make the changes that needs to be made. All right, so let's go to another proverb. I think the next is a Proverbs 15. We're going to look at verse 1, and then we're going to go down to verse 15. All right, Proverbs 15 and verse 1 says this. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Now look down to verse 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but, but one slow to anger calms strife. All right, so verse one there, a gentle anger, uh, gen a gentle answer turns away anger, all right? But a harsh word stirs up strife. And we're gonna say, wrath. We're gonna see this also in the book of James before we close out today. But here's the thing. So what are some practical things that we could do in order to start seeing uh, th this change happen in our life? So here's the thing. This is not a self-help book. This is, this is coming from the word of God. I'm not gonna give you a chapter from Dr. Phil or from Oprah. This is what the Bible says happens, okay? A gentle answer turns away what? Anger. So this is the thing. 
it's not just talking about the anger inside of you. We're talking about the anger that someone else has. What can diffuse a situation, right? A gentle answer, right? Someone calls you dumb, don't call them dumb back, right? Someone says someone cusses at you, don't cuss at them back, right? It turns away anger. It, it diffuses the situation. But a harsh word stirs up wrath. And any one of us that's been in any kind of argument knows this. As soon as one, one person pops off, the next person pops off, what happens? Now it's like World War III, right? And the thing of it is, some of us are better than others as, you know, verbally degrading someone. So then that, so when, once that one person winds up not having any more words to say, now we're at the level of fists. I mean, that's, that's what happens. It happens over and over. Remember how we tell our kids, use your words, right? Sometimes we don't want them to use their words anymore because they have all these words to say, right? But if someone runs out of words, that's what keeps escalating it up. The verse 18 says this, a hot-tempered person, okay, so this is someone who is constantly, so this is like that, that uh, uncontrolled, the, uh, the even-tempered, this is the other way. Hot-tempered, angry person, stirs up conflict. But, but one slow to anger calms strife. Okay, so here's the thing. You don't have to admit it in this room, but some of us here love to stir the pot. Some of us, it is our pastime to just stir it. You know something's going on and you just go, hey, so what'd they say about you? What was that story you told me the other day? What'd they say? Hey, hey, they're right over there. Or, or, or in a meeting, you'll know that there's some sort of disagreement and you'll be the one who you think you're a peacemaker, but no, 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 no. You're just like, Throwing it in the room and like, hey, so what happened last week? And all of a sudden, boom. Someone who stirs the pot is usually someone who's angry. Usually someone who's obviously foolish, someone who's wise. And I remember I was at a pastor's gathering last week um, and uh, an FEC gathering too. So I'm going to put that out there, right? And all of us, were all around the same age, right? We're all, we're all on the same age. And me and, and the pastor from, from Defiance, Sam Andres, were talking about, so who here likes conflict? And nobody wants to go, Right? And so we both go, we like conflict. I'm like, why? Well, we want to get to the bottom of a situation, right? And then, then we're like, okay, but that's okay. But then we also said that that also can be really bad sometimes too. Because us wanting to get to the, about the end of a situation causes us to get revved up real quick. Because if my character defect is to get angry, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. But I'm going to get to the bottom of it really angrily. So it's more than just whether you like conflict. How do you handle that, right? An angry person stirs it up. Angry people breed other angry people, right? But one who's slow to anger calms strife. One who goes, okay, let's, let's do this. Doesn't mean we don't, we, don't, we don't brush it on the... And this is one of the things I think about. You guys, especially you who, who grew up over here, sometimes we don't like conflict to the point that we don't bring things up. You know it's true. Sometimes our, our conscientious objections to things go way beyond just pacifism. It goes to not dealing with things that we need to deal with. And all of a sudden, we don't want, oh, we, we, don't, we don't talk about that stuff here. Well, why not? Because we just, we just don't do that. Why? Because why? We just don't do that here, right? Like I said, we're the most Baptist, non-Baptist people I've ever met. We don't, we don't want to change anything. This is the way we've always done it. It'll always be this way. And that's why we have conflict. And we have, we have had probably decades of internal strife that we've never dealt with in our families and maybe even in our church. Why? Because we just don't want to have that, that conflict. And some of us hate conflict so much. We hate confrontation that we just don't say things. And the thing is, if we love people, we need to say something. But if we love people, we have to be slow to anger when we say it. And guys, I'm preaching to myself more than you, so don't call. I don't want to get emails saying, well, Pastor Rob, I saw you get, I don't think you guys have ever seen me really angry yet, but like, you know, I'm a human being just like the rest of you are, okay? So let's all have grace for each other. We all have the same issue. If you don't think you have this issue, we'll talk after church and I'll make sure you have that issue. All right, let's go, let's go, let's go to the next one there, all right? James 1, uh, this is, these are not new verses, okay? So James 1, 19 to 21, these are not new verses, but to close up, this is where it comes from. I mean, this is, this is big, guys, okay? My dear brothers and sisters, now remember James, half-brother of Jesus, probably the earliest book written in the New Testament, one of the first letters. He was the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's writing to believers. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, here's what he says, understand this. Now remember, let's go back to Proverbs now. Someone who has, who has the fear of the Lord is someone who has what? Understanding. 
So for us to receive this, we have to ask God for the, for the fear of the Lord. At least begin that process of repentance and getting to that place that we allow the grace of God to control because we won't get this unless we have that kind of understanding. Okay? My brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to what? Listen. Slow to what? And slow to? Usually, we're quick to speak, quick to being angry, and very slow to listen. Right? I mean, think about this. I mean, and I, and I catch myself. And if you catch me doing it, you need to call me out on it, okay? I have, I have this thing that if I, I have just so many different things that I'm thinking about, like just where we want to go as a church, this, that, my fam, all this stuff, and I'm, I'm looking all these ways, and you'll talk to me. If you see my eyes like go this way, I stop listening to you. Like, call me out on it. Please, do. That's something that, I, that I'm working on. Please, if I do that to you, do that. Please tell me. This is what we do. Sometimes people are talking, and I'm like, yeah, 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 talk, 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 talk. I'm going to talk next. Talk, talk, stop talking. It's my turn to talk. I have a lot of things to say right now. Please talk, talk. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, talk, talk. Oh, that's great. And then, boom, I'm going to say that, right? And I've stopped listening, right? Because I'm not quick to listen. I'm quick to speak. And the thing is, a lot of us are generational know-it-alls. And we think we know everything. And some of us, now our kids think they know. Have you ever seen a teenager who has a conversation with an adult and think they know what they're talking about? Smack that kid upside the head, like, shut up, man. Like, I mean, you're like, it's like, come on, really? Really? Oh, yeah, you've been through it. This was a, you had a rough week. <laughs> you're like, come on. Like, I mean, but that's, but we're teaching our kids now to not listen, right? Remember we talked about being an active listener? This is, so we should be quick to that. This, the first thing we should be doing is listening and then slow to speak. So we do speak. This is, not, so this is what I want you to see. You do speak, though. You don't just not speak. It doesn't say be quick to listen and not speak. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. But then here's the bill. Slow to anger. Okay? This is the one that I struggle with. And if you're honest, you, some of you may struggle with this as well. That Especially... Those of us that have been through any kind of trauma, right, and have been through any kind of, like, difficult situations, like, you know, life-changing ones, you immediately begin to already think you know what the person is going to say, or worse, the intention on why they did it. And then that's what gets you angry so quick. Because you get, because what do we say? It's just like when did this to me. And we as a church have to be careful with that too. Because all of a sudden somebody has something that maybe God laid on their heart. Especially if it's something that like as leadership we're like, hey, we want to. And then you go, well, we tried that before. And then we've already had this preconceived thing that it's not going to work. Or even worse, somebody uh, says something that may sound like something negative somebody did. And all of a sudden, you're thinking that person is also doing the bad thing without finding out first. This is the difference. If you're quick, hear it all, slowly think about it, and then what? Be slow to anger. Because why? What? Human anger doesn't do what? Accomplishes God's purposes. So here's the thing. Be completely selfish about this for a second. If you think someone needs to be zapped by God, let God zap them. That's not your job, that's God's job. But really, if you have the wisdom of Proverbs, we want other people to also have the generational success and the generational fear of the Lord like we do. So soon, our anger, even though it's under control, will stop being saying, I can't wait till God zaps them. It will be what? I can't wait till God reveals his truth to them and they grow like I am. Man, that sounds so super pious for 2022, right? That the way that we think is, man, I hope God blesses them. As If somebody said that, like in a prayer service, well, yeah, my enemy went after me again. I just pray God blesses them. We were like, oh, right, whatever. But that's growth, man. If some of you can get to the place that you're like, man, I hope God talks to them and changes them the way he's changing me. That's crazy growth, right? So where are we? Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent. This is one of the reasons why we're angry. We have too much crap in our life. Look at this. Ridding yourselves of moral filth. And this is what caused you. Know, this is what caused you to be angry. You have no place for God to do any work in your life because you still have sin that's not dealt with. This is why you get angry. There's stuff there. And it's so prevalent. I love how the Bible says it's like right there. It's like right there in front of you, a part of your everyday life, and you're not taking care of it. But you want to get angry at everybody else. So what do you do? You humbly receive what? The word. That saved will do what? Save your soul. What is the only thing that has ever changed your life? The word of God. It's the only, I mean, it's better than any kind of hand sanitizer. It's better than any kind of disinfectant, better than any kind of mask, better than any kind of, any kind of counseling you can get. If you get counseling, make sure that it's centered on the word of God. But do you allow the word of God to talk to you and speak to you and cut you apart to get all of that junk out of your life? Because you're never going to be able to change from being an angry person to a patient person if we don't take care of the sin that's already there. It clogs everything up. What are we going to do with that today? Our heads are